Hello, everyone. Welcome to Almost 30. It's Lindsay and Krista, and I'm really pumped you're here. Yeah, thanks for listening. I know you guys have a lot of choices out there, so we're super glad to be with you. You know, we like to keep it really real and honest um, at Almost 30. So if you're new here coming from maybe our dear friend Sarah's camp, welcome. We started Almost 30 when, you know, we were transitioning from our 20s to our 30s. We felt super lost, like nothing made sense. And we wanted to feel less alone. So we started almost 30. And now, you know, it's a community and podcast all over the world. Yeah. We appreciate you being here. And yeah, as Krista said, today's conversation runs at that vein of just being super open, honest, and vulnerable about so many things. The Bird's Papaya, as you know her on Instagram, Sarah Nicole is here today. Yeah, I was really inspired. Like it just made me think a lot about how fast we're going, you know, and how, because we have Instagram now, so many things are captured on Instagram. And I actually haven't had a moment to kind of think about the effect that having quote unquote eyes on me has had. And it's in these like very little ways, whether it's like spiral of comparison or thinking something is good or bad or what have you. But I just, I felt like this conversation really lifted me to that place of perspective within it all. Yeah. Especially, you know, the body stuff for me and her just like really so many reminders, you know, she is such an eloquent writer, which is so powerful. Her ability to just communicate how she feels is like bar none. And just hearing her story, like she was on fire today. You guys are like, I'm so excited for this because she was literally on fire. Every answer was like so on point, but always the reminder that like, we are so much more than a body. We are so much more than like, this programming that we have to be a certain way, to look a certain way is just something that I'm thinking that we're stepping out of with leaders like her showing us the way. And just a point that she hasn't arrived, right? Like she is still so much in process and that's kind of the beautiful part about it. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes, you know, we as humans get tripped up because we feel like we're not there yet and we haven't like conquered this issue yet or like moved all the way through a challenge. But it's just really beautiful to see someone who is is still in process and yet still living in her truth, right? Because yeah. her truth is still in process, right? Like, so it's, I, I just loved that part of the conversation. I also loved- Yeah, it's like permission to be in process. Yes, yeah. And I loved her sharing just a moment with her husband who was specifically, and you guys will hear, you know, the whole story, but just when he touched a part of her body that like made her just feel initially so embarrassed and ashamed and how staying in that moment and feeling safe enough to just kind of feel everything she was feeling and then having someone like love her, you know, in that moment and love that part of her was so healing. So yeah, that was one of my favorite moments. I know, it's beautiful. You guys are going to love it. So if you know someone that, you know, would enjoy this conversation, a friend, family member, someone that you love, definitely pass it along for some inspiration for them today so they feel less alone. That's, you know, how we've grown and that's how these important messages are shared. Yeah. We appreciate you listening. And again, if you are a fan of the Birds Papaya and are listening to Almost 30 for the first time, we appreciate you. It means the most that you're here. You can also get more from Almost 30, shop almost30.com. We have courses, incredible workshops on everything from human design to aliens, to intuition, to anxiety. And yeah, it's just a a really big resource to help you along in your evolution. We also have our merch, which is a beautiful collaboration with Danny of Daisy LA. It's sustainable, it's eco-friendly, it's slow fashion and really cool. Yeah, it's super dope and soft. And the colors are all these like beautiful pastels with these really cool original designs. Limited edition, Mm -hmm. we said it. Yeah, so you can get it at shopalmost30.com. We're on YouTube. We have our videos on YouTube. You can see this interview with our lovely guest on YouTube. And then we're also on her show. So you can see, you can do a little swap through today. Yeah. Yeah. That was a blast. Thank you again, Sarah, for having us on. And we'll see you on the other side of this one. Enjoy. Yeah. We love you. How do you live your life like normally without being so impacted, but also caring? Yeah, I think that's kind of the big issue is that I'm such an empath. And I think for me, one of the biggest things is that I do care so much, but there's such a difference between like calling out and calling in. And I feel that difference when people are just trying to give an opinion or kind of like tear you down versus like educate you. And I also think that we're, 
I think we're past call out culture and like cancel culture. And I think we're just greatly in this age of accountability where we really want to share new information with people. But to be honest, like we have somebody in our relational world who is trans and I follow enough people who are trans to be like, or non-binary to be like, I can see why this would have been an issue if, you know, we suddenly pop a balloon and it's all pink inside and we're like, it's a girl and it's this. And I can see where we've assigned their girl and therefore it's pink and therefore this and therefore that. And it doesn't really leave a lot of room for understanding now that like the sex is the biological makeup of the child, but the gender, like they say, like the sex is between the legs and the genders between the ears. And so I really just had to like get educated on Mm. the impacts. And I think once you're willing to open yourself up to like knowing more information and then you can, I just, I just said to people, listen, I've educated myself to a certain level. There's not a lot of information conclusively out there. So at some point you make a decision and at some point you have to do it with a willingness to be wrong because what I did a decade ago wouldn't be okay today. And that's yeah. what, that's with a willingness to kind of be your own hypocrite and and evolve and do things different. In 10 years from now, I might say, you know what? I wish I never did that at all. Mm. But as of right now, with the information that we have making a decision, this felt the most right because it wasn't like a vagina or penis. wasn't, And it was still <laughs> cutesy and funny. You had like and, penis straws for yeah. the family if it was a boy, basically. <laughs> <Kind of. laughs> it's been so funny. But yeah, there's even like, they stop calling them gender reveal parties and everyone has them like little signs that like, I came here for the sex and all that stuff. So it, there's really creative ways that people have gone about it now. And it's it's really fun. Like I think it's, and also I was really woken up to the fact that the percentage of people who are born redhead is the same percentage as those who are born intersex. And I was like blown away. But classically, what happens when somebody is born intersex, which is like chromosomally the has both or like genitals has both or like even internally has both or characteristics of both, they just assign it at birth. They just choose what the gender is most likely to be and they cut, they cut off, like they mutilate it at birth. So most of these people have grown up just feeling like they were this one gender or another, maybe wow. had some confusion, but were actually assigned their gender at birth, even though it's like 1.7% are intersex and 2% are redhead. So, I mean, that's wild. Look how many redhead people I know. And I've never met somebody who's intersex, but we know that they exist now. And it's just been medically kind of swept under the rug. So even with that, I was like revealing the sex. I also had to acknowledge like, there's such thing as intersex. And that's another thing to think about too, right? So. Wow. Whole new yeah. world. That that point about, you know, always evolving and like you might have a completely different opinion in 10 years, I just think is so normal and so human. But I think mm-hmm. online there is just this, because it's a snapshot of your life, it like, there is a, um, I don't know, like, for your followers to kind of hold you to that. And mm. and when you do grow and evolve and change your opinion, there mm. is kind of this like outcry or like, wait a second, you said this. So how have you dealt with that just in general? Like as you've learned so much, I mean, you're so dedicated to learning constantly and learning publicly. So how have you dealt with that? Uh, it's so funny because I actually, my account when I started was completely opposite from what I talk about now. So my account like had transformation photos, weight loss things. I actually left up those posts because I want people to see and experience that people can change and that opinions can change. And just because somebody in your relational world has an opinion or is behaving a certain way or like also like me passing on really dangerous messaging... I think it's all I think it's somewhat inspiring for me to actually look back and instead of being ashamed, acknowledge my growth. Like I was a very I, I felt this a lot growing up. I was a very judgmental kid. I was very insecure. And so I kind of placed a lot of my judgments on other people. I was I, I just judged people for so many different things. And I was so opinionated and and easily influenced on opinions. So as I've grown up and been able to navigate what I think and what I feel and what I choose has been so freeing because you're like, actually, I think I was wrong in the way that I thought before. And what a cool thing to be able to change. And and when we talk about change, oftentimes it's told to us in such a negative thing. Like people will say it to us in such a tone with like, you've changed, like you've really changed. It's like, 
thank you. I have changed. Like I'm trying to really look at it as it's an evolution of self. And and I think Mm. that's what I want to do. I want to look back 10 years from now and look at who I am now and be like, gosh, like look at all the things you got wrong. And isn't it so cool that you've learned? Like failure is failure doesn't exist if we look at every opportunity as a lesson. So that's kind of how I tried to deal with it. That's why like when people bring up things that I posted in the past, I'm like, yeah, isn't that wild? Like I look love at evolution that. of mm-hmm. self. I love that. And yeah, and especially when you do it publicly, it's like the standard is so different. And now, you know, I think we're all kind of growing up in the age where almost everything we've done is going to be online or is online. Yeah. And it's a really beautiful thing when you approach life in that fun way where you're like, oh, how can I be wrong in the future? Or what have I, you know, done wrong in the past? Or how have I evolved? Because the evolution is so important. And it's hard because social media has this snapshot that's like, this is you at this certain time feeling this certain way. And Mm -hmm. the next day you're different and the next day you change. So if someone comes to you, they're like, oh, she's about this, but you're now about that. So I just love your perspective on that. And I wanted to talk about like you as a kid, Mm. you know, especially around the eating and body and um, just like your relationship with that growing up. Yeah, I, I mean... I don't remember thinking about my body a lot as a child. I remember liking certain foods and disliking other foods. I remember my mom was an incredible cook and she made such amazing comfort foods. I remember diets being talked about by the adult women in my life. I remember that being a thing. I remember my sister in high school, she began suffering from an eating disorder after getting jaw surgery. So she had jaw surgery and all anybody talked about Mm. was how she was going to lose weight, and I remember this being like this huge conversation around how she was going to lose all this weight from her her mouth being wired shut. And after her surgery, her face looked completely different and her, you know, her body looked different. And I watched and witnessed as compliments just kind of came in like mm. wild. And then I remember kind of watching it sort of take over. We all kind of knew there was something there. And I don't know that I ever really wanted to acknowledge it, but I also don't know that I really acknowledged a lot of disordered eating amongst our lifestyles and the people around me. I don't think that I noticed or saw it as a big thing that people wanted to be thin all the time. And I remember in high school going on a really extreme diet. I think it is at the peak of so funny. It was at the peak of like Survivor. Do you remember like Survivor? Oh, yeah. Like Jeff when that was like and you're and, like the hilarious. And it was like, yeah, <laughs> Survivor like really diet. peak Survivor times. And I was like, man, these people go on the show and all they do is they like eat rice. Like back then they got rationed rice. They could eat rice and vegetables and fruit and that's it. So I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And I, that's how I'm going to lose weight <laughs> in high says, school. And I was like, no my prize. survivor You're home. diet. <laughs> and I remember my mom putting her foot down with me and being like, Sarah, you at least need to drink so- like something else. You need at least not to have some calcium and things like that. But I just remember fitting into this one pair of Sarah Jessica Parker jeans. And those jeans... I still have the picture. It was like the smallest I ever got when I was in high school. And I held on to those jeans until I was about 28 or 29. Like they became who I wanted to be for the rest of my life. Forgetting Mm. that how like I literally had to eat as if I was stranded on an island (laughs) to maintain (laughs) that body. And so I just remember growing up as a kid, not really seeing it. But then as I began, I think as you kind of come into yourself, I developed like breasts really young And so boys noticed me very early on. And I, but when I started to care about the opinions of others, that's when I started to really feel and notice my body in big ways. And I was such a tomboy. So I kind of like, I wasn't really a tomboy. I used the tomboy scapegoat as like, I I just wear baggy sweaters and big pants because like, that's easier for me to say that that's my style than to acknowledge what my body looks like. And I remember like joining a gym in high school and I literally just went to use their tanning beds. So I could say I went to the gym, like I just hated it all. And it was always so weird. I I just, and then by the time I was, I think when I got married at 19, that's when I first, I, I was living in a lower income now. You're newly married. We had like no money. So the things that we were eating weren't like these home cooked meals anymore. It was a lot of packaged foods. 
didn't have access to things like a gym membership or a lot of nutritional stuff. I just had to eat what we could afford. And I ended up gaining a lot of weight really quickly. And my husband was an athlete, so he was able to eat anything he wanted. I was just gaining really, really quickly. And I went on Weight Watchers when I was 19, I guess. And I remember how expensive it was. And I remember how validated I was. And I remember everything had a point. So then I just got onto counting my points of everything and eating cool containers of Cool Whip because they were zero points. And I was like, well, that fits into my system. Mm -hmm. Had no, still had no idea about any nutritional facts whatsoever. And by 20, I was pregnant. So that was kind of the end of that journey of, of that kind of diet thing until it kind of roared back in my 20s. Mm. Getting Being married so young, having kids relatively young, did that kind of change your perception of your body? Like just having someone close to you appreciate your body, giving birth to another human being and going through that process? What was that like? Well, it's funny because most people in their 20s are like in university and they're going to parties and they're having like this great time. And I really loved that my bigger identifiers, the thing that I was finding value and worth in was that I was this young wife and that I was this mom and I had this thing that nobody else had. So I really ignored red flags of the relationship. I I ignored a lot of like, maybe I should do something else with my life in my 20s. And I just zoned in on, I'm going to be this wife and mom. This will be my identity. So when I got pregnant with my daughter at 20, it wasn't long. It was actually a couple of weeks in to the pregnant, like when I started expanding that my first stretch mark showed up. And I remember I had told my group of girlfriends and my sister had taken a picture and somehow that picture went to my parents. And back then you emailed everybody, everything. And like my family just emailed out this whole picture. And I remember just finding out that everyone had seen I think it's like two stretch marks, which is so funny when I look at when I look at myself now. But it it was horrific. I was mortified, mm. and I was grieving over a body that I I felt like I didn't even get a chance to get to know. I barely knew who I was. I I had fluctuated in weight already from these crash diets over and over. Then like being in a new financial situation to gaining weight, and then being pregnant at twenty, it was just like a huge ride. And being pregnant though, I felt, oh my gosh, now nobody's looking at me and what my body looks like. It's now that I'm pregnant and I have this like other thing that I care about. This is other entity and my body. I loved it when it was pregnant because it felt so purposeful. It felt so mm. meaningful, which is wild because it was always meaningful. It was always purposeful, but this was the first time that I saw it as serving. And so when those stretch marks happened, and then when I gave birth, that was really hard because nobody else I knew had stretch marks. I'd never seen them. And it took me about eight years until I ever saw another woman with them. So I spent almost a decade in this like quiet pain of thinking that I was completely deformed. And, I, and I've and i kind of compared it to when you go to a party and there's balloons everywhere and it's so decorated and so celebrated. And when the party's over and that balloon deflates, nobody is excited about that balloon anymore. And that's how I felt. That's how I felt I looked. I went from being this balloon in this party in this celebrated body to feeling deflated and to feeling discarded and not feeling like I had this value anymore. So what do you do when you lose that value? Well, I got pregnant again and then I got pregnant again. And then I finally, after my third, I was 225 pounds. And that wasn't actually a high weight for me. I'd been, I'd been always existing in a larger body ever since I was, you know, a teenager. But when I moved home to my hometown, that's the first time that I really was like, I don't want to run into people. So yeah, moving home to my hometown having a lack of information and access to a lot of nutritional education, not really knowing what to do. I'm now existing around people who know me. So it felt like this extra layer of shame. And I've had three kids. So even the parts of me at my core, I was still struggling with. I was struggling with who I was in clothes. I was struggling with who I was stripped down. I just didn't feel comfortable ever in my body. So that that felt like a really good time to change it. I mean, that's how you find happiness. If you look around and you see, you know, these before and after pictures, that's the story that we've been sold our entire lives is that 
you know, you were a before and then you're an after and everything is better. So it made sense to me that I hated my body and that I could hate my body happy. I could hate it until I loved it. And that would happen through this process where I just basically downloaded an app, which was free, which told me basically to eat what a toddler should eat in a day. And I had no realm of understanding about how much exercise was too much. But I knew that there was calorie trackers on exercise equipment. So I was like, if I just exercise enough to erase the food that I've eaten. So I pretty much existed in almost a negative every single day. So when I started losing weight quite rapidly, it was, of course, met with, congratulations, that must be so much hard work. Like, we're so ingrained to be like, that is that is something you compliment. Of course you do. That's That's really important. Like, we can see that you've done this hard work and... When the internet noticed and when, you know, my following started noticing, I started really feeling validated for the first time in an external way. So I started posting these before and after photos and and really drew it really motivated me to keep going, keep going, keep going. And I would always say, like, I don't have a goal. I'm just like, want to go as far as I can. And well, as far as I can was going down to a size zero, 114 pounds. I'm a five eight frame, so that was incredibly wow. small. But the reality of that was, and what people didn't really know was that I actually had more anxiety around leaving my house and seeing people. I actually had more hate for my body than I ever did before. I was I was covering and shaming everything because you in the process of hating yourself happy, it never ends. It's you're never good enough. I literally have Instagram captions in which I said, If I exercise in front of the mirror and I see what's jiggling, what's wrong, that's what I know how to target next. Wow. So I saw myself constantly as just something to fix. I never saw myself anything more than that. So when life crashes down and suddenly the facade of your life, the facade of what you've been saying, what you're believing, these core things of, oh my gosh, I've done the before and after and I'm not happy. This is like, it was wild because now... I'm getting a divorce. I'm 30 years old. I'm moving in with my parents, with my three kids. Every external validator, I had no money. I had no car. I was just had started working as a server at nighttime. I mean, Mm -hmm. in terms of a humbling experience, I, I lost everything that I was validated for in my life. And on top of that, I was like, also don't really love my body. Yeah, I got thin, but I can shop in new sections of the store and people hold doors open for me and they're nicer to me, but I don't really like this feeling. It doesn't feel good. I'm not okay. And I think I've really messed up the way I eat. So that ended up being what what started the next chapter, which which was healing all of that and having to completely reverse and backtrack on everything I was online and everything I was in real life as well. Just completely acknowledging and becoming my true self. Wow. Yeah, I can remember the the calorie thing with working out and eating. It was like, okay, so I need to burn 2000 because I'm eating 2000. And it's like you completely mm-hmm. negate like the actual functioning of your body oh, and the requirements yes. that you need and it's just yes. yeah, the never ending. I really relate to that and I know so many women of the community really relate to that too where you get to that goal space or number and it it almost becomes you always want more almost like you had to hit the rock bottom to start to heal. And that was Mm -hmm. the divorce. That is moving home. That is, you know, going through this really hard time. So I'd love to talk through that rock bottom and then what steps you took to heal. Well, what I found was the most fascinating about rock bottom was it was actually the happiest I'd ever been. So now strip me away from all of these things. I felt so free. I felt suddenly like I'd removed the chains of what society had placed on me. I didn't care that I was living with my parents. I was actually really happy there. I felt so supported for the first time in a long time. My kids were actually adjusting really well. I loved my job. I actually got a second job within a couple of weeks at like this dream place. And I felt beyond like the body stuff, which I knew I was still kind of working through, I felt really good having nothing. I felt really good kind of breaking free from these things that I think actually caged me instead of what being what I thought was like, the things I needed to be validated for a successful life. And so that was a really interesting time. But it also, you're right, like at rock bottom, it's just an opportunity to build a new foundation and to go up from there. And I, I love analogies, but when I think about it and I think about my life before, I almost think as if I built it 
on foundations that were not stable. They weren't structured well. And I kept building upon that. Like, and it's always going to crumble. It never really, it's never really going to stand firm and tall and well. And what happens when you do a rebuild and why I think people need to be not so afraid about a rebuild is that you never build the same way again. You would never put down the same foundations. You wouldn't use the same materials, the same walls. There might be aspects and memories and parts that you're like, yes, I like this. Yes, I pull from this. But overall, that's not that's not what I did. It was it was a complete revamp. It was actually looking and saying, what do I want? And who do I want to be? What does that look like? And and I hadn't asked myself that ever because getting married at 19, I went from my parents' house into being married. So I kind of answered to parents to answering to a husband. I never really like took time to ask myself like, who are you? What are your opinions? And and I remember when I went to therapy in my 20s, Gosh, therapy is like the best thing ever. And I always thought I didn't need it. Same. But, right? Like, yes. <laughs> I even went like this I was past so year resistant. and I was like, I'm like, I'm not actually coming because I need anything. I just like thought I'd check in and I got there and I'm just like, <laughs> yes. like, like, when you're like, I don't even know what I'm going to talk about today. And you're like, Jesus Christ. Like, if the stuff comes up, you're like, what? I know. Where is that come from? <laughs> Where was that? I think it's because it's like the how are you isn't something that you just have to like, I don't know, yes. pacify somebody with an answer. You're like, how really am I? Like, mm-hmm. this is how I really am. But when I went to therapy, it, it was, such a fascinating experience. So I'd never done it before. And I thought I went because I needed to like repair my marriage and do all these things. And what ended up happening was really finding out who I was and figuring that out. But the one thing she said to me is, you know, Sarah, you don't have an opinion. And I was like, well, I I have opinions. And she's like, well, they're usually everybody else's. (laughs) You are so good at sponging. She's like, you're a sponge. You're sponging everybody's opinions for you. You're doing what you think everybody else wants. And you're having a really hard time expressing what you want. And I remember she challenged me to do one thing on my own. And I took a trip to Chicago by myself. And I remember it was like the first time I'd like left a house by myself without kids, took a train and did all of these things. And it was so terrifying. I was so full. I I couldn't even drive on a highway or drive a car very far at all. I was anxious about everything. So the fact I even was able to fly for one and get on trains and walk around a city I didn't know by myself was absolutely huge. And at the end of it, I felt like a full human being. And I thought, this is what I've been doing wrong is I've literally been trying to fill everybody's cups constantly, just watering everybody else's gardens and wondering why I've got so many weeds in mind. Why am I suffering? Why am I thirsty? Why am I this? Why am I that? And just falling on the sword for all of these other people while sponging all their opinions and taking that on myself and you know, which is kind of such a flip now being in uh, internet like culture because <laughs> it's kind of doing the same thing and and having to navigate that for yourself. But after that, my my therapist actually broke up with me. She dumped me because I knew that I was being such a sponge, but I wasn't activating anything. I wasn't actually changing anything. Mm. I, I just had this new awareness and this new knowledge, but I wasn't doing anything different. I was still allowing other people's opinions to rule my life and to do all these things. So when she actually broke up with me, that's when I knew I had to make those changes. And and the day I actually left my marriage was not because I realized it's not, there wasn't actually one big explosive thing. It wasn't anything like that at all. And I and it was actually so peaceful because I woke up one day and I remember opening my eyes and immediately shutting them and just feeling like tears stinging my face and just feeling like that was the last thing I wanted to do was wake up. And that's the problem is that when you're falling on the sword for everybody else, you forget how many swords end up in you. And here I was just trying to hold everything together, hold everybody together. And I was waking up not wanting to be alive. I didn't feel suicidal, but I just didn't want to exist. And I didn't know what to do with that. But I did know that very day that if I didn't do something immediately the people that I was falling on the sword for weren't going to have me anymore. So I was trying to hold all these things together. And one way or another, I was fading away very, very quickly. And so it was a, it was a very calm Wednesday in November. And I called my mom and she came and got me and we picked up the kids. And she gave me... Story always makes me cry, but we sat down and she said to the kids, I was kind of crying and they were crying. We were just having this moment. It was actually 
quite beautiful. It wasn't traumatic the way that I remember it. It was, it was a very sweet moment for us as a family, but she sat there and she looked at them and she said, you know, when you're on an airplane and the oxygen mask drops down and they always say, mom has to put it on herself first before she can help anybody else. And she goes, that's what mom needs to do right now. For the first time, she needs to put the oxygen on herself because if mom doesn't put it on herself, she's never going to make it out with you anyways. So we all got it. Nobody makes it, right? And I, I think that's what we forget. It feels so selfish when you're on an airplane and they explain that. You're like, you have to put it on yourself first. And I'm always like, that's so... I would never be able to do that. Never could do that. I always have to put it on my kid. You forget, well, who's carrying out the kid? And if you don't make it, who carries them out? Who helps them out? You have to put it on yourself first. You absolutely have to. It's not a question. It's a matter of survival. And so when she said that, it just woke me up to literally everything. It was like, this isn't me being selfish. This isn't me ruining anybody's lives. This is me building a new foundation. This is me breathing. This is me watering that garden and doing it in a way that everybody benefits. Everybody makes it out. Nobody falls on a sword. We all we all get it through this so much better. So I don't even know why I got to that trail or where I ended up from that or what question we even asked, but... No, the healing. Yeah, you, yeah thank oh. you for sharing that. Oh, the healing. Yeah, what a was, mom. That was... The, yeah, she's a, she's a... She's like mother... It's like Martha Stewart and Mother Goose merged into one human being. Oh and that God. was like my mother. I was raised on like weekly themes. Like we had Butterfly Week. No way. Like Teddy Bear Picnic oh. Week. Oh, she was incredible. She, a she was an ECE. So she ran a home daycare for 25 oh. years, but ran it like a school program. So I grew up just like everything was, I just had, we had like Pioneer Week when we learned how to like churn butter and stuff. Oh, it was oh. the best. I had just a magical, magical childhood. So, and I'm nothing like her in that regard. Like she comes over to my house and I'm just always like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for the mess. But I'm like, this is actually how we live. <laughs> Honestly. It's so crazy. She's oh, like, I'm sorry. sorry. All the time. <laughs> she legitimately came over yesterday to pick up my girls and take them out for a little while when I was working. And when she, I, I hear her in the house and I was like, don't clean anything. And she's like, I'm not. And Gemma's like, my daughter Gemma, she's like, she's doing the dishes. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, she's don't really do great. It. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I like, just think I it's, love it. I think it's so special for your children to see you heal and to mm-hmm. really take ownership of that, that process. I think, yeah, that's just, that is so profound for children to feel because then it gives them permission at any time in their life yes. where they feel like, wow, I really have to work on this. Give them permission to take time to do that and to be quote unquote selfish. Yeah. Kudos, kudos to you. In the wake of your divorce, was there any healing or things that you had to process around like being in a relationship and with love? Because I know you're in a in a happy marriage now and expecting Mm -hmm. a baby. And so I'm just wondering like what that looked like. Uh, To be honest, I still saw my body as such a ruined piece of junk. Like Mm -hmm. I saw it as a deflated balloon. So I had already kind of written myself off as somebody who was ever going to date again. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe I'd like have some fun with some people, but I wasn't really like, I didn't even know if I wanted that again. Mm -hmm. Like I just got out. I'm free. Like I'm good. I wanted to be this like stellar single mom. Being a single mom felt like being a powerhouse. It was like beating the odds all the time. And I kind of, I thought I'd be so ashamed of it. And I ended up being really, really proud of it. So when I started getting into that space of like, I just really didn't value myself. And I really thought the way that people looked at single moms was like somebody with baggage and all this stuff. And I actually went, when I got that job at that publishing company, I walked in there and I remember the first day at, at this job and the girl I actually... It was such a weird story how I even ended up there. But the girl that I... I was actually sitting at a coffee shop with my ex-husband as he was kind of trying to talk to me about reconciliation and all these different things. And I get this phone call from my old high school friend. And I'm like, I got to go. I got to take this call. I don't know why. I was just like, I got to go. And I take this call and she's like, I'm about to have a baby. We didn't really go through the process of posting a job. I've worked with you before in other jobs. Would you be interested in coming in and interviewing? And I interviewed the next day and I land this dream job. And I I walked in on the first day and, and my friend Jess, who I went to high school with, is now introducing me to everybody in the office. And she points at this one guy and she goes, 
And that's Shane. He wears plaid every day. And at this point, I'm not attracted to anybody. I don't care how hot you are. I don't care who you are. I don't care how funny you are. You're dead to me. I don't want anything to do with you. Like This is not (laughs) something that I was seeking whatsoever. But there was this weird internal voice when I saw him that was just, he's important. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Like, I don't know how, but... And he was in a relationship at the time. I'm newly out of mine. I am not interested. But we really, really, really hit it off as friends. And, and I started really spiking a lot of friendships with men in my life because that was the first time I really had permission to do so. And I found it really valuable. Guys are totally... They're wired completely differently. Yes. And I mm-hmm. found that so cool. And and something I've really held dear ever since is like the differences between female relationships and male relationships and how they each hold. Like guys can be so matter of fact about things. And women, we we unpack stuff a lot. And men just seem to know how to like cut through that and just be like, oh yeah, that's this. And it's so simple. I think there's a mm-hmm. balance of both. Yeah. It's so true, right? Yeah. So meeting him, it was kind of just this like refreshing thing to kind of be a part of and, and this friendship. And then he was going through a breakup as well. So then we kind of spent a little bit more time together. He would come and visit the restaurant I worked at and we hung out a lot. And and I, my best friend at the time was someone I served with. So we hung out as like a trio all the time. And then he met my kids in like a group setting and my kids just zoned in on this guy. They were just like, he's the one we want you guys to date. They kept being like, do you like him? Do you have a crush? And they'd go to him and they'd be like, do you think mommy's pretty? Like, do you think that you would like want to date her? And they were like wing womaning me. Like it was hilarious. <laughs> they were gunning for this relationship to happen. What? So finally about, I don't even know how long in it was the following year. We finally were like, I almost don't even think there was a transition from us like being just friends to like being a couple. It was just like this matter of fact movement. And the kids, when we like verbalized it to them, were completely overjoyed. Like just so, so stoked. It was like, Mm. but this is what it was. It was, I feel like my life was existing off the tracks. And so the moment that my life started getting on the tracks and how I see it is it went from being this clunky, forced, difficult movement forward in life to being click, 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 click on the tracks. Here I was on getting my dream job, I was happy. I was actually gaining weight and feeling comfortable in that and eating food and feeling nourished and still struggling. Like it's, I don't mean to paint it as like the easiest thing ever, but I still, you know, even within dating Shane in the beginning, he really helped me see us more instead of being like this baggage, saw us as like this Costco pack. Like we were the deal of the century. He's like, this is awesome. And and meeting people, I remember there's this one couple that we met along the way and she was like, so you have three kids and he has none? And I'm like, yeah. And she looks at him. She's like, you are so lucky. That is so cool to be able to just like date somebody and then also get their kids as part of the deal. And I looked at her and I was like, nobody talks to us like that. Everyone looks at him and they're like, you're a good man. You're a good man for taking that on. And he's like, I don't feel like I'm being a good man. I feel like I just got my family. I feel like they're just who I am. But I will say, this is one of the biggest things that I struggled with in dating was that I didn't want to date. I didn't want to be with another person. I didn't want to be in another relationship and lock down again. So this freedom of choice was huge for me. I really needed to know that I had choice at all times. So it scared me when the kids came into play, scared me when they were now part of this equation. And it took Shane sitting like one day I was, I had put them to bed and I had to run upstairs to bring something to them. And he blurted out, he's like, I I love them. And I said, what? He's like, I just want you to know that I I love them and and that you don't have to worry if like we don't work out, I'm going to be there for them for the rest of their life as long as they'll have me. So don't worry about that. That's off your plate. And I was like, okay. First of all, who the hell are you? And But it really did. It took that pressure off. I, I now acknowledge that it no longer was my responsibility to hold this relationship together for the mm. sake of everybody again. He now had an external relationship with the kids and a relationship with me. And these things were potentially a package, but also independent on their own and not reliant on us being a romantic couple in the middle. And that choice given back to me was the reason I felt good about moving forward and felt really confident in moving forward. 
And as for my body, I mean, Shane's never even dated anybody with kids before. So dating somebody with three, I mean, I was literally like, is my vagina too loose? Like I was wearing t-shirts in the bedroom. I'm like, are my nipples different? Like I was just like asking so many questions. I didn't want him to touch my stomach. I was like, don't come near me. Like it's all so weird. And he's like, you have, like you're so He's like, everybody is so different, but like you being a mom doesn't make you all that much different than you think it does. You've really put that in your head. Mm. And so he kind of was very good at never acknowledging. He would always say that like he thought it looked good and stuff like that. But I mean, I had to gain probably 30 pounds in the first like two years of us dating. He never said anything about it. He never said a thing. He never said if I looked good or bad or different. He never acknowledged anything. He just loved me consistently through it. And it really helped me to not feel like that was such a thing. And it also really helped me that, you know, when I said I needed all the scales out of the house, that he didn't combat me or anything. He's like, then we get the scales out of the house. Like, that's just what we do. It felt really, really supportive. And he also was very good at kind of being that voice of reason, that really good, what guys do best, that cutting through the crap. And I remember he said to me, you know what? He goes, my body probably goes up and down 30 pounds every couple of years. He goes all the time. And he goes, you know what? That's life. It ebbs and flows. So, so does my body. And I said that quote probably 50 times to people over and over. Like, yes, life is ebbing and flowing. So does our body. Why can't we see that? Why am I holding on to these genes that I had when I was 14 and holding myself to that standard and not acknowledging the ebbs and the flows and the evolution of a person and saying, just buy a new size, let it fit you later, ebb and flow. The, he really brought a lot of awareness to that circumstance and that situation, but really helped me value myself as an individual and not this like broken yeah. baggage type woman. I actually was somebody who came with a lot of value and a lot of worth and uh, you know a bit of a package deal. I love Costco pack. That is like my right. favorite. Yes. <laughs> and there is, I mean, I'm my sweet fiance. I do miss male energy in that way in my life of like mm-hmm. having more male friendships because it is like the truth in the simplicity of what they do that is so powerful and profound. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's no, there's oftentimes no added layers to it. And with women, we're so multidimensional and we can really go deep and we can analyze and we can determine, you know, where this came from and where it's going and all these things. But like, Men just being like, yeah, I gain weight 30 pounds, you know, ebb and flow. And you're just like, yes, like that is like <laughs> the most empowering thing. You're like, and you're, and you're cool with it. Like, and like, yeah. you know this and you're cool with it. And it's like, yes. And you're like, yes. Like, it's like so beautiful and important to have both of those dynamics mm-hmm. existing that, that masculine and then that beautiful feminine that really cultivates, you know, that ebb and flow. hundred percent. And when it comes to like my stomach, for instance, I, I had this, like, I wrote this incredibly long, it's one of my best posts I've ever done talking about the first time that Shane ever touched my stomach, because as a lot of people do, we have these golden rules in our relationships and in our intimacies that you don't touch certain things and you don't do certain things and just let these certain things be because they're going to be in our head. And for me, that was my stomach. Don't touch it. Do not touch my stomach. I don't want to be held there. And one day I was laying on my side and my husband comes up behind me to spoon me. And he, instead of kind of grabbing what he thought was my arm, he ended up grabbing my stomach, which if I lay on the side, very much like melted ice cream will kind of blob to the side because I mean, deflated balloon, that's who I am. And I have a lot of excess skin from losing weight and having kids. And 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 I was still really struggling with that. So the fact he touched it, I was just like... <gasps> like this gasp. Mm. And then all of a sudden, like in this most mortifying of moments and like running on pure adrenaline and instinct, I took his hand and I brought it back to my center, like in the squishiest, softest, most marked place of my body, the most vulnerable, the most shame-filled. And I held it there and I held it there and I cried and I cried and I'm laying on my side. So he doesn't even see this. And and I write about this and I, and I said... All I all I wanted was to be loved and held and accepted. And all he wanted to do was hold me. And I finally allowed myself to see that I was valuable and worthy of being held. Do you know what happened when my husband read that caption? He's like, I don't even remember that. <laughs> <laughs> I fucked that the whole damn thing. He's like, I, I was snoozing behind you. Honestly, <laughs> he was literally. like, I don't even know you're crying. Like, <laughs> I, I didn't even know I touched your I didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> 
Oh my oh god. My god. It's like one of the most monumental moments of my life. Literally, I had this um I wrote down Justin my fiance in this little journal and I manifested him, you know, in quotes. Oh, and so it was it. this perfect description of him and I remember one time I was like, "Oh my god, my journal that I wrote about you, you know, 6 months before I met you, it's like the most profound thing." And I I start I crack it open. I'm like, "He's going to be so joyful and fun and all this stuff." And I look up and he's sleeping. Literally sleeping on the couch. I'm like, yo, this is like not the vibe. I'm like, this is very important to me. Like, wait, he stays oh. awake. <laughs> Literally. And I was like, and I was getting so emotional. I'm like, oh yeah. And then we did that. Like, whatever. But that is, that makes me mm. so happy for you. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a really good wake up call and, and just really kind of brought me full circle for like, yeah. what the heck I, I yes. put so much energy and time into and how many times I had to like hide my cellulite by like walking backwards mm. out of a room and keeping my shirt on and hide, 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 hide. And, and really once I let go of that, do you know what happened is just, I actually got to experience true intimacy and yes. I enjoyed sex was so much better when you don't give as many fucks about it all. And like, just really got to enjoy it. Wow, like what a difference yeah. when you're not in your head for the entire process of enjoying life. It's like rec reclaiming a part of you in that moment. Mm -hmm. And it's really beautiful when, you when you're when you doing that with someone and you have the support and they might not even know like yeah. the extent to which they really are allowing you to reclaim that. You are just so loved on Instagram. And I just think you do such an incredible job of of sharing your your story and just kind of your constant learnings and being so open and vulnerable. And I'm sure you get this a million times over every single day. But I'm curious, I'm curious what's what's been really difficult about that because it seems so very easy for you to share. But I know mm. it, on Instagram, nothing is as it seems. So um, I just love to kind of go behind the curtain a little bit for everyone who's just such a big fan of the bird's papaya. Well, I think one of the biggest things is everyone just thinks that I have confidence in my body. They think I love my body, that I feel positive about it. These are the words that we hear and that we use, right? And and I think the biggest thing that people don't realize is I still yet, I've yet to really experience a day where I've looked at the mirror in my at my naked body and been like, I love what I see. I absolutely, <laughs> this is bomb. This is exactly, this is my dream body. We have gotten there. No, it's actually completely not that. I, I've never gotten to a place where I love what I look like or that I love, you know, what my body is or, or the scars that I carry. I respect it. I respect my body. When we talk mm. about self-love, so many times we we expect emotion and it's very similar to external relationships that we have. We expect these sparks all the time. We want the romance. We want this. We want that. And those things are valid and they're real, but they're also not consistent. They don't stay. And when you're in any type of long-term relationship, you know how that feels. So that that those loving surges, butterflies in your stomach are the rarity. They're like these these tiny moments, but they don't they don't collect to the entire relationship. It's the acts. It's the every single day tangible acts of love and and what does that look like? And every relationship is entirely different. So when you look at it about yourself, I could repeat all the things that make me feel really loved and they are not going to be the same as anybody else. They're not going to be the same as you. It's not going to be the same as, you know, my next door neighbor. We all experience love so differently. So I think that would be the one thing that really feels the most true is that I, this confidence that I have is just that I understand that I'm more than a body. It's that I understand that I don't want to go back to existing in a time and space to which I didn't go to the beach with my kids because I worried about what I looked like. I don't want to choose to know, to not show up and exist in my own memories because I know now we only get these ones. I only got those years with my kids, even if I was postpartum and at the largest size of my body, I don't get those moments back. And I should have shown up no matter who I was and what I looked like, instead of waiting for myself to be an after photo for a worthiness to show up in life or to be accepted. Because th these were these were memories and opportunities that were readily available to me that I talked myself out of because of what I looked like. So a lot of it for me now is is acknowledging myself beyond that. And I would say the other thing when it comes to Instagram is like, I think everybody thinks that once you like hit a certain size or a platform, 
that you must like feel that and you must and I, I'm I'm genuinely like the same person that I've been forever. I actually don't feel all that different and and I love that I still care a lot about about what people think and in a way that I I want them to feel connected. I want them to feel like we are in the same level that I think that's my biggest fear with having a platform is that people put you on this like pedestal and I'm always trying to like level ourselves back to like who we are as people and like our core beings and the fact that like we're all of the same worth because I know what it was like when I had no money and um, wasn't popular and didn't really, you know, have people validating me every day. And I don't want people ever looking at me and being like, oh, it's because she has X, Y, Z. It's like, no, it's not because of those things. And so I've really had to work at myself to kind of allow myself to not feel like I'm a bad person because I'm no longer living in a dark space of life, that it's okay for me to be in a better season, that I can accept good things, that I'm allowed to have success. I'm allowed to make money. I'm allowed to not be somebody in debt or struggling or the single mom, like all of these things that I I felt like I really connected with people when I was like an underdog. And I think I really struggled. Yeah, that's like, I think that's a feminine wound too. That's like needs healing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's been really hard. Like I remember when I I hit a million, I almost felt a little guilty. Like I felt a little like, I don't want people to be sad. I don't want people to feel this or that. And and I also didn't want the pressure to like have to keep performing in that way. So I think that's the, that's the one thing that's been really, really hard, quite honestly, is, is just, just being true to myself and knowing that I'm still the same person at the core also giving myself permission to grow past and and grow past those dark spots and not have to live those places anymore. And I know a lot of people found me in those down times, like when I was really struggling in my body, when I didn't have any confidence, when I didn't really know what to do, when like those first peaks at like what my stretch marks even looked like. And before I ever ended up like on the side of a bus or a cover of a magazine, I mean, there was so much work in that. And so stepping through to this side, I think it's been, I think it's been hard for me to, to be okay with being okay. Mm. Yeah. I think that's huge. And I think that's so important with the, the female experience. And I think Mm -hmm. we really witnessed that a lot where there is shame around success sometimes, you know, it's like the, our whole lives were clawing to get to this place where we feel like we're there. And you realize when you're there, you're never really there. But then there's also the pressure of like others around you, you know, feeling like you're going to make them feel bad or sad because you have success, you know, you have perceived yeah. success. And when you were talking, I wrote down about, you know, how you were speaking about how you always want to level with your audience and you always want to make them feel like they're not alone. And by sharing really honestly and vulnerably, but then there also too is sometimes when it's like leveling sometimes is dimming. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really hard to find a balance online where you're like, I want to be really honest all the time about when you're struggling, but I also want to be really honest about when I'm doing really well and I'm when, when I feel well. And, you know, the ability for people to support you on both ends of that is so important. And I just think it's really important that you talk about that, you know, that you talk about even feeling like a little bit of like, oh my God, I hit a million. Like, are people going to be sad? Because I even relate to that with like my body and even having men look at me when I was like younger or something, I would always feel bad because I'm like, oh my God, they have a, they might have a girlfriend or they might have a, a, a wife or someone likes them and they're looking at me. It's like a weird thing that I would always like feel ashamed with how I looked if I was ever getting male attention because I was so worried about them having a female or like a woman that they were dating or married to because I knew they'd feel bad about it. It's like a very yeah. weird thing, but women always find good ways to like justify and have shame. And it's mm-hmm. just like heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot. The one thing I ended up having to do, we we talked yesterday when we were doing my pod about, you know, toxic friendships and, and life edits. And the one thing that I really struggled with was I really love being a woman who supports women. And you know what? I deal with jealousy. I have to check that a lot of times too. Sometimes I see somebody do something that I've wanted to do my whole life. And it's hard to take that second to kind of digest and and be celebratory for her. And acknowledging that that's maybe the experience of what a lot of people have had to do with me as well. I had a really fast growth in 2019 um, big part of that being that I really I was able to quit my job in that publishing company and work for myself. So 
I ended up dedicating for half of my full-time day to being in the comments and DMs and really spending time on creating content. So yeah, this growth came with giving myself this room to grow. But I was reading this really powerful article and it was all about the power dynamics of women and why a lot of times we struggle because we want to be on the same level as each other all the time. We want to feel the same the power dynamics are equal. I think it was this article in Forbes and I've read it probably 20 times and I've sent it to so many friends when they've struggled in the same way. Like I have a friend who's just not happy for me and or I have a friend who's gotten really distant now that I've had success or, you know, I'm going through a divorce and suddenly people are just going, like they're going the other direction and I, what is going on? And And it just comes back to like this, these power dynamics and why sometimes it's really hard for women to support women because a lot of times we start friendships when somebody is in the weeds and it's really hard to get there and garden with them and be a part of that flourishing garden, especially if we're still in the weeds and we're still in Mm. that point. It can be hard to check our personal emotions. And I think one of the things that's been really interesting for me is to allow other people to protect themselves and not feel like I have to take that on and to not dim myself. A big example of that is, you know, being pregnant. I've had to learn really quickly that there is a good chunk of my audience who's struggling with infertility. So I immediately took that on with so much guilt and like, how do I hide my pregnancy? How do I dim my joy with this? How do I... I wanted to take on their pain instead of having conversations and saying and disclosing to like everyone that basically this is now a big part of my life and this is the chapter I'm in and I want to be authentic and I also want you to feel safe here and I want you to feel like if you need to take that time and space away from me like I support you and I I just had to really take that time but there was there was I had to have a lot of people come to me and be like you need to stop saying sorry for being pregnant. You need to stop apologizing because this is like your joy and you've created life and like mm. this isn't you you don't have to take this on for everybody else's pain and and I think if you're somebody who's an empath it can be hard to celebrate your successes and it also can be hard when you know that those things also could hurt somebody else even if that's never the intention even if you know those people who are hurting aren't asking you to not be pregnant. They're not asking you to take it back. But it also can be hard for them. It can be difficult when somebody goes through a successful divorce and they're in a a bad relationship and they don't really, they've not taken those steps yet. There's a lot of times that people don't support you anymore because they're protecting themselves. And I've really had to take away from it just being like, we're bad women and we're, these power dynamics have taken over and our jealousy has taken over and just really look at it as, you know, we need to protect ourselves. And and there's times that that's happened where jealousy or for whatever reason, there's somebody I follow that I used to really connect with that suddenly is hitting in a really weird way. The mute button is fantastic. Yeah. My gosh, it just takes you time. And all of a sudden you come back and you're like, I don't feel those things anymore. And I got to deal with those things on my own and not place them on that person to adapt, like to change and adapt for my benefit but instead allow them to serve the people that they serve and acknowledge that it wasn't serving me. Yeah, such an important part of of anyone's healing is is turning down the noise of others and like especially that comparison piece is, is something that I think, you know, this day and age we're living in with social media, it's just kind of a part of what we encounter every single day. So I think the awareness around that is so important and being able to create those boundaries you know, press mute or unfollow temporarily, whatever you have to do is totally, totally okay. You've crushed this, baby. I mean, this was fun. We didn't even... We didn't even start and say like, hey, like, welcome. Like, we're just like, I know. Well, you were going. just crushing we, we from just the go. beginning. So I was like, oh, we're just going to go fucking right into yeah. it. <laughs> Honest. Like, literally, I was like, and then I love that you didn't ask because sometimes people are like, wait, am I going? And we're like, there you're going. Like, you're <laughs> going. You're we were going. like, put up a sign. what if we were like, oh, we're starting now. Like, oh, we were just I'm hanging before. <laughs> then I would have to do my disclaimer like, no, I'm not talking at hyperspeed. I just literally talk at the speed. So and I need you- Krista and Lindsay lessons to talk slower. <laughs> Your speed was insane. And like, yeah, you were just, honey, thank you. Whatever you're doing before, whatever practices I need to be doing, because that was (laughs) so good. Yeah, it feels so good. I'm so glad to know you. I wish we were closer. I kind of want to like come over. I know. I know. I (laughs) want to be in a house with children. I know. Does that sound gross? But it's true. I want to be in a house with children. Yeah, just have fun. 
kids, this is the thing is people forget that children, yeah, they're a huge responsibility and they do a lot of shit that's stupid. But we forget that it also brings you back your childhood. My mm-hmm. husband, my husband, we were dating. That was a big thing. He was like, I forgot what it was like to like go to a playground. He goes, mm-hmm. I can't do this as an adult. But now that there's kids around, I can go. You can go to theme. Like you can do all of these things that yes. like riding on roller coasters with a kid, 100% better experience than just like going on your own or with a friend. And you forget how much that children bring. So now that I share custody, that's the one thing like... There is this like space and like this adultiness that happens when they're not here. And when they come home, it's so messy when they come home and their shoes are everywhere and they're all like preteens and teenagers now. But man, like we were literally up to like 11 o'clock last night, like playing Mario Kart and joking (laughs) and dancing and just like, I'm like, man, their energy is like nothing else. And they're so funny. Like they literally, you can't, you can't have, too much pride in a house with kids because they humble you so fast. Like, you're just like, oh my gosh, you're wearing that? Like, you really think that's cute? And like, "Mm." like my daughter this week when she was like, oh, bike shorts? Like, no, 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 no. And I was like, I thought bike shorts were really in. And she was like, "Mm, no, 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 no. And I was like, I'm so insecure. Yeah, honestly, you're like, you don't even know how this hits. This hits (laughs) in like a fucking way that you don't even know. Oh my gosh. She's like, mom, a million followers. I know, honestly. Oh my gosh, who do you think you are? Are (laughs) y'all on TikTok? Your whole family. Is your family on TikTok? Oh, yes. They're very much on TikTok. I I went on there for a hot second, but it was so frustrating. That's the one problem with like, if you are a body that's not a certain aesthetic. Mm, so for me, I actually 100. got flagged because my um my cellulite and my stretch marks were constantly violating. I literally was just in a bathing suit and like my face right now. I everyone Wait, listening needs to see my face right now. What? It's completely deadpan. I've said it yeah. once, I'll say it again. TikTok, if you look at the the page, like you will look at the algorithm of TikTok is very, very troubling. It's all yes. children and they all look a very certain type of way. And that yep. doesn't surprise me at all. It's a very dark space that is like very skewed. Yeah. There's also a lot of um, information out there that says that they target towards higher incomes. They target to wi- towards white to rich and, yes. you know, these young aesthetics. So if yep. you were in a larger body, I mean, I'm a size eight for Pete's sake and my body got taken down. And it took me like an hour to get that dance together. Like, that was Jesus. not fun for me. Whoa. And, you know, like, I was just like, this is not where I'm going to put my time and energy. But they, yeah. they, they find TikTok very entertaining. My daughter is um, a cosplayer. So she, my oldest, is really into cosplay. And she's very good at it. It's ridiculous. Nobody should be able to put lashes on like that. It's not oh fair. You should have them still springing up when you go out for lunch with girlfriends. <laughs> and she can have them last all day through conventions. What? and. Oh, so frustrating. But she does these really elaborate cosplay things. So there's this whole, like for social media, when we talk about social media and kids, everyone assumes it's negative. Yeah. And it's my daughter went from being this really anxious, insecure kid to like finding her people. She found people who were just like her and found community and really became this confident creator at such a young age doing something that I still really don't understand. But hey, I show up with my camera every week and I help her shoot. And I support her and I bring her to these conventions and all these things that I really don't understand. But I think that understanding is so secondary to support. And I think that's what I've I've tried to emulate with them. And so for her, mm. watching her do this, like the TikTok cosplay community seems like a really cool, positive space. So I've really enjoyed that. My other daughter, um, she's she's only allowed to have like, she's only allowed to watch. She can't post anything. So mm-hmm. she, her her love language to me, I swear, is sending me TikToks she thinks are funny. And when oh. I told her, when I told the kids we we're having a baby, she was like, oh, the TikToks. <laughs> this is your reaction. <laughs> oh like, my these God. are the TikToks I'm going to make with this baby. I'm like, oh, wow. I, oh, my God. I'm so fun. That. Well, thank you so, so much funny. for your time. Yeah. We know this you're so busy, but thank this was you. a blast. I actually felt so uh, yesterday after we were talking. I like walked away and I was like in a different mood. Like I was oh, in a babe. different Same. mood, right? Same. So Same. this felt really good today. I actually looked, I had a whole clear calendar except for this today. And I was just like actually stoked. This is a really... This was a blast. I don't know. I think I it's, nice come stepping into, it's nice stepping into spaces that you feel good in. And Aww. I think you guys have really cultivated that. So oh. I was very honored well, to come on. Now Thank I feel you. bad for you because we're forever in your life. So 
just have your sister know <laughs> that. With me now. Just know that it's not it's not a one and done. <laughs> Don't, I will I will add you to my close friends list on Instagram, and you will regret it. Yes, <laughs> I cannot wait. I cannot it's usually wait. me peeling off my boob tape, but my my girlfriends are always like Sarah. I'm like, sorry, this is I what we do. <laughs> my favorite. Oh, All right, honey, again. we love you. Right. We'll talk to you love soon. You so much. Bye, Bye. guys. Thank you so much, Sarah. Nicole, you are amazing. It's thebirdspapaya.com and then thebirdspapaya on Instagram. And then you can listen to us on her show. We had such a good time. We talked about toxic friendships and so many other things. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, As always, we are on Instagram at almost30podcast. Our website is almost30.com. We also have our shop, shopalmost30.com here to support you in your evolution. We appreciate you listening. We'll see you next time. Yeah. Thank you so much. And if this was sent to you by a friend, we want to thank them too. Or if you're sending this to friends, we really appreciate it. That's how we've grown. And that's how these important messages and guests get shared. So we'll see you next time every Tuesday and Thursday. Love you. Bye-bye.